The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. This first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And today, we're, um, well, I feel personally blessed to be uh, joined by uh, Associate Director of iFoundry, uh, the Illinois Foundry for Innovation and Engineering Education at the University of Illinois, Karen Hyman. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the Hi, show. Hi, Dave. Thank it's you. Great to, yeah, it's great to have you on, and uh, we can uh, reminisce and reflect on what uh, what iFoundry uh, meant to us here in a bit. But uh, on, on the show, we like to get to um, uh, get our listeners to know our guests a little bit better. And you've uh, been a staff member and an academic at the academic leader at the University of Illinois, and you've held uh, you've had a world class liberal education and been involved in selecting top graduates into that very selective school, the University of, uh, of Chicago. But let's go back in the time machine. What were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Um, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, and um, I feel very grateful uh, and blessed to have had really sterling teachers um, at the University of Chicago who um, were generous and attentive to the needs of um, undergraduates and took, you know, very unformed 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds like myself um, very seriously as searchers for um, living a life of meaning and and purpose. Um, It was just... uh, I would say, a life-altering experience to sit in those early uh, classrooms of the what's called the Common Core um, at University of Chicago, where everybody read the great books of philosophy, history, literature, ancient through modern, um, and to be asked, you know, what do you care about? What are you ambitious for? 
what kind of life um, do you want to lead? What kind of human being do you want to be? What kind of citizen um, do you want to be? Um, so um, I was just privileged to have a host of teachers um, like that, Amy and Leon Cass, Carl Weintraub, Saul Bellow, Alan Bloom, just to drop a few names, um, in my time, both as an undergraduate and a graduate student at Chicago. Yeah, beautiful. And I know we've had, you know, we've talked about this uh, when we worked together and how important that experience at Chicago was for you. And and maybe we've already heard it, but, you know, in, in the the show and, and the book, A Whole New Engineer talks about unleashing experiences. Um, and... Um, and maybe we've already heard it, but to, to what, ex, you know, maybe those experiences at Chicago or, or what other experiences or individuals in your life uh, helped give you the courage to go your own way? Sure. Um, well, I've been, you know, again, I feel very lucky in sort of meeting people who were um, brave and smart and outspoken in their field. Um, so people who kind of took on the um, common opinions or just questioned in a very respectful way um, the approaches of a field or discipline. So um, one of my earliest influences was with people at Chicago who were looking at um, modern science and medical science um, and saying, Certainly, this has um, provided many benefits to mankind and improving our lives and making us live longer, healthier lives. But what are the um, detriments and deficits in our humanity that might come from so much technology or so many advances in medical science? And people who question um, those disciplines... Um, and do it in a thoughtful, rigorous way, um, I think show a certain great amount of um, of courage. And, you know, similarly, I was close enough to um, a host of people that came to Chicago after World War II, uh, sort of European refugees, yep. who um, were fleeing totalitarian and barbarian states um, and who uh, were great um, spokespeople for courageously challenging the status quo, whether that was, um, you know, Marxism or um, communism or any of the other sort of difficult isms of the of the 20th century, um, and. You know, I'll I'll give you kudos here, too, Dave. Um, I feel fortunate to have met you and um, met people like Andreas, who did not seem content with the status quo at a great institution. I mean, they, they were respectful, and you were respectful towards... The history um, and, and excellence of Illinois, but also yes. said, um, shouldn't we be doing more? Can't we be doing something different? Um, how can we provide something better um, for our students than the merely technical? And I think um, that showed a certain amount of courage in, in all of your dispositions as well. 
And it's actually, I was just I was reflecting on the, the people who came from behind the totalitarian curtain, and and um, boy, I, I I wish we, you know, it seems like our times could be informed by by some of that knowledge. It seems like it's so far back in in the distant past that we've kind of forgotten about um, many of our blessings um, in this country, and and um, and seem seem eager to go back to some of the um, extremes of a collectivist uh, past that's uh, sort of inexplicable and, and until you realize how you, you know the you know the last time people used turns of a phrase was you know 20 30 years ago that years uh, ago, and, and right. yeah it's so so long ago and and there's there's so little so little of that experience in our in our young people today yeah. And, th- and yeah. thanks for thanks for your kind words about um, my foundry. You know, I, I, at first I thought you were going to say, except except Dave wasn't. You, know, you talked about people who were respectful, and I'm not so sure that I was always as respectful <laughs> as I as we as we might have been. But I but I but I think that it was that. I mean, I think there was the sense that this is a great institution, and and uh, and and that. And it could do, and it could be doing better, especially with respect to its undergraduate students. And I, and I think, uh, and I think that's part of our conversation today is to talk about the ways in which um, some of those things, um, some of those things mattered. We, you and I did work together in the early days of the Illinois Foundry for Innovation and Engineering Education. And at the time, you were, and uh, you were, uh, you had a position as a staff member in computer science and. And I think I've heard this story before, but how did you happen to um, find your way to iFoundry? Um, well, I was always um, interested in undergraduate education. From my inheritance at the University of Chicago, I felt yep. a sort of urgency to pay it forward. Um, so I was doing interesting things in computer science. I was writing about all of the hot new alumni inventions like PayPal and Yelp um, and YouTube that were just coming out at that time. And that was, that was um, certainly a lot of fun um, and kind of thrilling to be involved in that. Um, But I always felt um, like I wanted to do more um, to help the undergraduates. And those students in computer science were, sort of a prime case of students aware that they were um, beneficiaries of a wonderful education, but also sort of frustrated by large classes um, and um, a sense that the real action was not in the classroom, but in their um, outside ventures, the um, startups they would create with a buddy um, from yeah. one of their classes or from the ACM student organization. Um, and that seemed to be, those student organizations and outside activities seemed to be a locus of activity. So I was always um, carrying around these books on um, the meaning and purpose of higher education um, that were just starting to come out. Um, I think in the 2000s, there were a lot of books questioning higher education and its ends. Yep. Um, the one that comes to mind was Arthur Cronman's um, 
I think it's the meaning of education. He was a dean at Yale Law School, um, and then he eventually became a director of their um, sort of general studies in the humanities program. And I ran into one of your associates who saw that book in my hand and said, oh, I know somebody who's, um, you know, developing something very interesting about that, and you should go talk to him. And I was ready for something new, and we had um, children together that sort of overlapped at the yep. at uni high school, um, and I knew your son is sort of a... Um, outspoken individualist at uni, and I thought, oh, I'll bet, I'll bet Dad is the same way. I'm happy to go talk to him, and we met, um, and I think just um, connected over what was possible um, in education, even at a big place like Illinois. So that was the beginning. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, that's sometime around what 2008 or late 2007, sometime in in that time frame. And it was uh, it was in 2009 that we had the first uh, small cohort of people come through the um, um, the freshman program. But um, and of course, I've you know Mark and I you know wrote a whole new engineer, and chapter two of that book is devoted to telling a story, um, largely through my eyes, about what. Foundry was about, but uh, uh, not all of our listeners uh, have read the book. Shame on them, but not all of our <laughs> listeners have read read the book. And and so right. maybe for for their benefit, uh, you know, and and also to get your perspective, what uh, how would you describe what iFoundry was and 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 is uh, to to our listeners? Um, I'm one one good image is of. Um, it's used in some places of a camel getting its nose under the tent, uh, <laughs> the, the well-established tent um, of um, engineering education at a highly ranked um, school and sort of poking its nose around and saying, um, let's, let's create a new kind of tent. Let's move it over, over here a ways and let's maybe make it larger to include some other important but overlooked elements of human psychology um, and, and education. So let's just um, look at the status quo and acknowledge that the technical excellence of Illinois is um, necessary but not sufficient um, for creating great entrepreneurs, leaders, um, and engineers um, for the future. Um, so, so we were sort of a camel under the um, tent um, when we came with certain... I would say core principles and practices, um, and they were not, you know, set in stone because we were, um, by definition, a pilot incubator, um, and and incubators, I think, revise and renew and revisit their principles. But yep. there were some basic principles about um, engineering being a. I think a joyful profession, engineering being a very social profession, 
um, engineering being a key and critical profession in the future, um, and all of those things combine to make um, certain practices um, important in teaching students. So that's where you get into some of the things about the joy of community um, learning and engineering and how you ought to teach if those are kind of fundamental um, to engineering. Yeah, and I I think, you know, and that's, I I love the uh, image of the the camel and um, many of our colleagues thought and noticed the camel's uh, odor uh, more than the nose and that it was under the tent but um, but it, but it was but it was uh, it was a uh, it was a it was a lot of fun to try and and generated a fair amount of um, energy and and those that that got involved and 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 when you came on board it was uh, we were about a year as I remember we were about a year out from the um, launch of a freshman initiative when when the I find right. finally got a little bit of uh, funding from the uh, engineering administration to do something the request was to do something first in the freshman year so we we came up with a a very small um, program a one a one credit course uh, with a one, a zero credit extracurricular that met two hours a week uh, in in the I community and the missing basics of engineering. But um, Mark and I tell the, some of those stories in a whole new engineer, but I'm curious what, and, and um, I'm curious what memories um, from that period, from, you know, when you came on board to recruiting the kids to that launch of that freshman year, what are some of the things that about that startup period that, that uh, led up to that 2009 freshman cohort that stick out in your mind? Sure, sure. Um, I think, you know, um, and maybe this is uh, um, red rose haze of nostalgia that's coming over me, but... Let's hope so, um, yeah, good. (laughs) There was just a wonderful sense of this is something different here at Illinois. This is... um, there's something, some sense of the um, possible and opportunities that I never in a million years would have um, associated with a big research-based um, university. And that was, you know, that was just, um, first of all, it was students making connections and friendships early on, yeah. um, some of which friendships, by the way, have gone on to stick and last yep. and end up in startups um, out in Silicon Valley. Um, and you don't think of that as something that happens at the big research university. Um, some of it, some of the you know, sort of joy and surprise was you could tell students felt like somebody was paying attention to them. They were not just a number. Um, that here were all these um, professors and staff members who really cared about them um, and had put together this um, show <laughs> to uh, sort of feed their aspirations or, and let them, you know, let them meet with faculty members that they never would have met normally in their first year. Yep. Um, 
so it was it was just a sense of surprise um, and possibility and um, now delight um, and also astonishment that it didn't take big gobs of money or man or woman power yep. that it was just a handful of people working really, really hard um, to do something special and that 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 could be possible for some um, level of change. Um, the other thing I remember distinctly is this um, sense of relief that the faculty had or sense of friendship, I should say, that the faculty mm. had. Um, whether it was somebody in art and design or industrial design who had all these cool ideas, suddenly feeling like they had a home in engineering, which had been, you know, maybe a little bit unreceptive um, to those ideas before, or whether it was um, our partnership with Olin, which was, you know, on the surface, uh, a David and Goliath kind of thing, but suddenly there was this feeling that if David and Goliath got together, they could really um, change the world. Uh, so it, it was just this you know, great sense of possibility. Yeah, beautiful. Why don't we, let's yeah. take, I want to, I want to, you know, sit in that uh, question, I, I want to probe that a little bit more. Let's take a little bit of a break and come back and sure. talk talk some more about that and then talk about some of uh, the scale up and what haf- happened uh, uh, thereafter. How about that? Sure. Sounds great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Karen Hyman from the University of Illinois. Stay with us. And in the next segment, we're going to talk some more about the startup of iFoundry and, and then what happened. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio, the second segment has two sponsors. Uh, one of them is 3Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organization. And um, the second sponsor is the book that is um, 
changing, transforming higher education, a whole new engineer, the coming revolution in engineering education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And uh, we're back with Karen Hyman from iFoundry at the University of Illinois. And and before the break, Karen, we were talking about the 2009 and, and uh, you were um, reflecting on um, uh, on your experience at at during the iFoundry years, and you were concerned about, and I, I think I put it in a funny way, but you were concerned that you be objective, so your good critical thinking nature from the University of Chicago is, think, is holding up. But yeah, we, like I said, we like authentic schmaltz on the show, so it's okay to be emotional about about things that were emotional, as long as the emotions uh, they're coming back, and they certainly come back for for me. But I guess what else? Um, as you think back, that the first year was kind of a sp- very special. Um, and subsequent events were special too, but there was something about that that uh, that launch that was very special. What else comes um, comes to mind or comes to your heart as you think about think back to that time? Um, well, um, both the the sort of wisdom of our notion that change doesn't come from the top down um, and the difficulty of persuasion um, of people um, at any kind of scale, persuasion of faculty. Um, as I recall, um, when you're trying to get them to attend to things like emotional intelligence um, or um, project-based and design thinking um, in engineering education. And, you know, that I have very warm memories of many meetings with iFoundry fellows and faculty in engineering. And I also have, you know, some not-so-warm memories um, of um, just how darn hard it was to change the mind of somebody who had been... um, teaching in engineering for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, strategizing with you and with Ray Price, um, then the co-director, about, yep. Yep. Um, you know, how do we do this? Is there another way to get people to think about their, um, you know, they care about their specialization in material science or mechanical science. Can we work through that sort of more specialized concern to get at these broader issues? And I don't know that we ever resolved that in a way other than, you know, I think people in change efforts say the gen, you know, the older generation has to pass on for a, a new generation to arise and embrace, embrace these ideas. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm thinking Old Testament stories like you know, Moses and wandering in the desert for 40 years. I don't think it takes. I don't think it takes that long. But I, I think, actually, I, I'm thinking as you were speaking, I was thinking of a particular time. I remember when you presented. You had asked the incoming cohort uh, some interesting questions about about why they wanted to be engineers and why they wanted to be an iFoundry, and they gave these beautiful responses. And I remember you sharing them with the iFoundry Council, which consisted yeah. of people some some of whom were more or less supporters they were there because they were assigned by their departments to represent their departments but some some were more believers than others and some and but i i remember for example everyone being in rapt attention at that meeting where 
these young people, you read the words of these young people expressing themselves about why they wanted to be engineers. And my, my recollection of that was the, the sense in the room was, you know, we don't ask kids these questions. And questions. isn't it, right. yeah, isn't it beautiful to hear their answers? And um, that, I mean, that's one thing I remember. And then I remember some of the hard cases of that same iFoundry Council later um, having, <laughs> not changing their minds, but changing their hearts. Yeah. That, that I think with the, we figured out that, that you actually don't want to spend any of your time fighting or persuading or seeking buy-in. Right. But that, but that, after, if as people witness authentic change, where young people express emotion around being great engineers, that that's very moving, and that changes hearts that then change minds. And and uh, there's great, a couple of great stories where that was exemplified. But it seemed to me that part of the we did try to change minds early on, and we and. And I think what we, I think my conclusion is you can't, you don't, and, yeah. and, and you don't even, you don't try, you work with those who sort of buy in and get them to kind of move further. And then, then somewhere along the way, some of the others see something um, personally that is transformative for them, and then they're more open to it. Comment. Right, right. I, and I think, um, I think that makes, um, that makes a lot of sense, and you could, um, you could say that's what's happened um, here at Illinois, and maybe we'll get into this later. But yeah. but AE three has taken you know a handful of very like minded good souls in engineering and who want to try and um, take what what our former undergraduate dean called the meanest, baddest courses in the neighborhood in ECE <laughs> or TAM or mechanical engineering and yeah. um, tr- transform those at scale. So so that continues. Um, and, I mean, an interesting question may be whether Olin, which is a wholly undergraduate institution, um, treats undergraduates in a way that a place like Illinois with a very, you know, rich graduate history um, and faculty members largely focused on graduate students cannot, cannot do. It's just like not in its DNA. Um, right. If you, if you want to change minds and hearts, it just may be easier to do in a place where, You've got an undergraduate only tradition, or um, a place like a University of Chicago or Princeton or the smaller sure. Lawrence College. Not sure. I'm just speculating on that. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting question, and I think you know some of the you know. So if you if you know, there's a polarity between research and and um, and and there's there's good you know re- there's terrific parts about being a research university and then there's some the shadow and then faculty ego and the ignoring of undergraduates is kind of the shadow and then there's there's great parts of being an, a great undergraduate institution and focused on undergraduates and then there's a, a shadow, shadow in terms part. of yeah so so I think in polarity management or polarity leveraging terms how do you get the best of those and I think we're still we're still struggling with that how do you get these things at scale I don't think you um 
I think one of the, you know, and we'll talk about this maybe later, I think some of the lessons have to do with um, this idea of separation of of culture, this the, the separation mm-hmm. of faculty culture from student culture is a is a barrier to that, and it's sort of um, you know, you're you're doing the you're doing metaphors before. It's sort of the used to the, some of the early computers had separate data and processing units, and they they didn't interact. But the von Neumann machine unified them and created this single space where data and program both lived. And so I wonder if there's not a, a nice metaphor for us there. But let's go back to. Um, so we're you know we're back at 2009 and, and 2010 and 2011 the program continued to uh, scale up. Uh, 2010 it expanded from 75 students to 300, and then 2011, if my memory serves, the freshman program was scaled to the whole freshman class. And um, what are your what are your memories or recollections of that time period? Um, well, there was. Um you know, again, that sense of pleasant astonishment that the College of Engineering leadership, um, you know, our dean, um, yep. who was uh, Adishita at the time, um, and our undergraduate dean, Chuck Tucker, thought that what was done was good enough to be offered to 300 students and then to um, to all students, Um so that was um, that was really uh, surprise and, and delight, um, and of course there's the difficulties um, of of uh, scaling up that quickly. You know, yeah. in a way, it was a pretty fast um, scale up, and um, we tried when we went to 300 students to do an all-day um, sort of launch event, um, which uh, I think went reasonably well, um, although, you know, it was just a day. It was not an overnight, which is what we did for um, yeah. for the 2009 cohort. And then as you move up, um, considerations of expense become really pertinent and um, so the the overnight and the all day launch go by the boards and um, you could say well you know that's just the way life is but I do think you know something is lost when you don't have that sort of early bonding experience that was a big part of what made a difference and you can see, I think, at other schools that have tried to adopt our um, iFoundry Illinois freshman year experience, they've tried to do some kind of full-day orientation, if I'm right, whether it's places in Brazil that have adopted things. So yeah. um, so some things lost, but... Um, uh, again, I don't, you know, I think I think there's a very positive view of what's happened, which is... Um, Illinois now has first-year courses in leadership and project manage- management and um, uh, research experience that it never had before um, you know, we came along, before iFoundry came along. Yeah, and I guess you know, that's you know, one of the, the interesting – so we um, – 
we, we can look at the, uh, and we tend to measure progress in these things by looking at courses, content, curriculum, pedagogy, the, the, the big three. And, and yet I think, you know, when uh, one of the realizations in writing a whole new engineer was the, how much of the, the difference between the, the good stuff and the okay stuff was about deep emotion and culture. And so it's not that, and it's not that the content curriculum and pedagogy aren't important. It's just that they, you can, you know, you can do project-based learning with a heart, or you can do project-based learning that doesn't trust students worth a wit. And so, I guess I'm, right. I just guess I'm curious um, as as things went forward from, you know, in 10, 2010, 2011, and then beyond. And I and I lost, I largely lost track as I was wandering the planet after about 2010 and 11. Um, right. I, you know, I did come back to campus and I did have a part-time role, but I, I lost track. What? Um, how would you, um, you know, you were just, I think you were talking before about some of the things that changed uh, both institutionally and culturally uh, about the place. Um, what what were some of the things that, that mattered in your mind afterwards? Sure. Um, so, you know, to go back to where I started kind of in my own life with pivotal teachers. Yep. Um, I, I think if you have teachers here who kind of carry on the spirit of um, we're trying to create, let's say, holistic engineers or uh, wholehearted engineers or trying to give engineer, yep. engineering students um, the sort of mental um, and emotional equipment to really um, look at complex problems and um, be good citizens and understand more than the, just the technology. Um, the wonderful thing, which I'm, you probably haven't had a chance to see, um, is that there are teachers here who are the sort of full-time staff of the Illinois Engineering Freshman Experience Program. So, you know, hats off to people like Joe Bradley, who mm. um, comes from University of Michigan, um, as an undergraduate and uh, has, a, I think, a master's and a Ph.D. from the ISE, Industrial and Systems yep. Engineering at Illinois. And um, he just, um, he completely is um, convinced by why it matters for this place, for Illinois, to... Um, be, you know, its own beacon of um, good teaching in engineering education and not just technical education. And, you know, Ann Perry Whitmer similarly is um, a civil engineer and an art historian by training and um, has worked abroad on certain projects and uh, is doing some of the leadership um, instructions. So as long as you've got teachers... Um, who are uh, carrying on the spirit of of that, I think that'll be okay. Uh, The the trick is getting the sort of institutional support financially for for this kind of teaching, particularly in uh, sort of difficult um, financial times. So... Yeah, no, and and uh, that's yeah, that's so nice to hear, and and um, 
you know, it is interesting as, you know, so when you're in a startup, things are not institutionalized. And then when mm. things become, when things become regular and valued, they do become institutionalized. And so the who, you know, the who you hire and, and, uh, and the, and the kinds of hires that you make matter, um, matter a lot. And, and right. we were also talking before about some of the hard case, um, you know, it's like the, um, I was thinking about West Side Story and, the, and uh, you know, when you're a jet, you know, it's like, you know, these are, you know, tough kids on the street. Some of the tough courses like um, mechanics and, and uh, yeah. ECE circuits and stuff and, and the ways in which the, I think the culture was loosened up. Um, and, and again, institutionalized, there were funding programs put in place to help um, and a sense of community um, that was developed within in intention by guys like Jeff Jeffrey Herman to to help right. um, to help bring about change and and that's been um, actually in my mind surprisingly effective. I yeah you know, if you told if you told me that the that say mechanical engineering was going to be kind of a, a a a soft and sweet spot of this stuff back in two thousand nine, I would have said you're crazy. But um, yeah. It's actually yeah, exactly. really interesting that it has it has been, and it's been an important locus of of real real change. Right, right. And I think if um, if you've gotten, I mean, the place is ultimately very decentralized, and I think it will always be that way. So um, you could say, you know, one measure of success is if it's if the change has filtered down into individual departments um, in that way, then, you know, within the parameters of um, and constraints at University of Illinois, you've been truly, um, truly successful. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, you know, so things like funding, you know, so I think one of the, one of the ways that, some of the good stuff spread was competitively. I think, you know, so these, mm. all these, all the very good departments are very competitive and like to think of themselves as the, you know, the big dogs on campus. And to the extent that they then, it became uh, uh, a badge of courage to go off and do some of this stuff rather than some of the other stuff. And, and they did. And that, that's surprising that the measures of what good was, uh, good things were actually changed, and then people started to compete uh, with each other to I spread know. the good stuff in in different departments. That was that's so awesome that that occurred. But who, you know, back in two thousand nine, uh, to to think that that well, we saw we saw we actually saw some early telltales of that um, in some of the early experiences that 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 was possible. But the idea that it would happen systemically was um, that that was a pipe dream. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, why don't we? Uh, yeah, let's take. Let's why don't we take another break? And I'd like to come back after the break and talk about you know what did we learn from all this? What are your takeaways from from this experience? And and where does it where does it go from here? How's that? Sure, sounds great. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So this is Big Beacon Radio with uh, Karen Hyman, and and the next segment we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, learning takeaways in the future. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's Educational Innovators Working Group. Join us for monthly meetings, action oriented learning action teams, and help create change that sticks at your school. Go to bigbeacon.org and sign up as an act the kit or write to me dave goldberg at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more so and we're back with karen hyman from university of illinois and and karen we you know we've been talking about some of what happened at ifoundry and i want to talk a little bit about what we learned but but before that and one of the things one of the reasons i think you and i hit it off so well is is our our passion for things like philosophy and and uh um and the liberal arts and and the humanities and social sciences more generally and and one of the one of the troublesome things is though when you when say uh, you're a you're a technology program you're an engineering program and you go to the liberal arts dean and you say hey we'd like to do more uh, in integrating the liberal arts they say well you know essentially yeah if you had more if you had 120 hours of liberal education you have this great thing called liberal education and and I, I've I've started to call that the slow boat to uh, shift skills, um, and and it and it seems like <clears throat> we need something to accelerate the the good stuff. And you talk, and I think our sense of the good stuff is is aligned um, in this. But you know, how do we how do we get more of a hydrofoil than a slow boat to the good stuff that, that a liberal education provides when we're trying to bring in some amount of that into an engineering or technology or professional degree more generally? Yes, I I think we're, um, you know, we are like-minded on this one as well, that you need a different kind of liberal arts education and a different way of thinking about it. I'm no fan of the, um, you know, your your aeronautical engineers ought to have a full study of Shakespeare and Homer and Aristotle and Plato to be better aeronautical engineers. I just don't think that's either practical or sensible. Um, And so I think, um, I mean, one of the things I've learned in being here, coming in as a sort of a a great reader and um, 
fan of the liberal arts just for their own sake is that there's nothing wrong in thinking about you usefulness or utility or practical mm-hmm. applicability. Um, and um, how can we give the engineering students one, two, or three courses um, in that have a liberal art bent to them yeah. that will be useful and helpful in their engineering education? Um, I don't want them to be, you know, skilled and astute readers of Homer um, because I don't think that's feasible within um, engineering education, but I would like them to understand um, some of the Homeric lessons about friendship, for example, sure. um, and, you know, defending your own in, in battle. Um, and that just requires a different kind of intentionality and deliberateness when you're putting together um, programs or when you're speaking to groups of engineering students. Um, it goes back a little bit to the happy themes idea, yeah. Yeah. Uh, human artifacts, processes, and interactions, which um, I was successfully able to turn into something called leading themes um, liberal education aspiration and development themes, and yep. we we put together in 2013 and 2014 um, a sort of guide through general education for engineering students to tell them why taking a um, art course might be useful to learn about notions of beauty that they could apply in engineering or. Um, why taking a dance course could teach them something about symmetry and, um, and again, about beauty. Um, and so um, you just, you know, you need to find good partners um, across uh, the country and across the, the world who are willing to sort of think, um, think about the liberal arts in that way. Yeah, so I th- so there are a couple of pieces in that. So one, so you know, one piece was thinking of, you know, not thinking of the existing mode of liberal arts education as necessarily um, uh, appropriate or or th- that that you can that you can do that. So one is recognizing that there's some. Some con- some real constraints on time and and um, but also I heard in that sort of a contextualization issue that you know and, and we there were a number of ways and I, I, di- I actually intended it more as a critique but the missing basics of engineering was actually in alignment with what was missing in engineering with much of much of the cognitive good stuff of a of a liberal education and so there was a sense in which um, I, you know how do you get how do you can you make a list of the of some of the things that you that that you value and would like, um, and and that sort of goes against the balkanization of the liberal arts themselves. They're all kind of separate, and none of mm. them see, uh, or these days don't see the common threads that we used to to see, or maybe they still see at the University of Chicago and a few other uh, small places around the world. But so there's a sense of you know what is it that you're trying to 
inculcate or develop and and um, and how do you contextualize that? How is that? So somebody that's coming and chosen an engineering degree and is thinking kind of technologically uber all us, how do you how do you put that in terms that they'll understand? Well, this is actually good for you as an and mm-hmm. this will make you a better engineer. And there's almost there's very little of that conversation that goes on. Comment. Right, right. And, you know, that cartoon that you've used of um, human beings are not just a brain on a stick. Yeah, the PhD you know, comic we have. Yeah. yeah, flip around what you, what you say. When you, when you start talking to students about their aspirations or what makes them excited, um, suddenly you find they've got, you know, these, they're deeply idealistic and they're very philanthropic and they want to change yep. the world and make a difference in the world. Well, there's wonderful literature that reflects on that. And, you know, could you use the liberal arts to um, educate their sense of community or give them examples um, of sort of profound communitarians in, in the yep. world? Um, and so it um, it speaks again. You know, how do you speak again to the whole human being with their sort of longings and sense of purpose? Well, and as I think back to those early days, your your little questionnaire where you ask people from the get go, what what. Why do you want to be an engineer? Why do you want to be an iFoundry? Um, it was starting with purpose, starting with why, and and um, and the, and the actually listening to that and validating that was maybe one of the most important things that we that we did in that first first year. The the fact that we're actually listening and care. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And you say, well, why why isn't there more of that? And actually, when you were talking at the beginning of the show, you talked about faculty who cared and listened and and wanted to know what you wanted to do with your mm-hmm. life rather than having it all figured out for you it seems to me that that right. that's kind of a sense that's that's one of the that's one of the pieces pieces of this and you talked about the happy themes uh, and now the lead themes um, that was the same sort of thing where we said well what um, what would what uh, humanity, social science courses will be meaningful to what you want to do. So we were essentially asking the same question, except now in the context of liberal liberal, liberal education. And we thought that was right. that that was a powerful thing to do with a existing um, existing uh, courses. But I guess I've I, you know in in taking training as a coach, I I've also gotten to this view, and and you've seen some of this work. Um, when I came back to Illinois a couple of times and bringing the coaching skills and the deep listening as as actual practices into the classroom and I'm hmm. um, and, and both for faculty in trying to bring about change and students for trying to um, accelerate change in their own lives it seems to me that that sort of that the kind of stuff that that I was trained as a coach at, at uh, Georgetown was um, the sort of human being 101 stuff. It's and it's it's mm. that sense of hydrofoilness that I'm. I wonder if there aren't kind of ways to kind of take some of those best practices together with kind of the slower reflective kinds that are necessary as part of um, um, the the great books tradition and that that together that that isn't maybe our to make. Um, I just went to a Maserati as opposed to a hydrofoil, but um, but whether that isn't our our fast 
our fast boat, our fast car to that kind of stuff. And I, anyway, yeah. I'm just wondering if yeah, there are, sort of, if we can't be more efficient at this, and I, that there's the engineer in me saying using the e word, but but comment. Yeah, what right, do you think? Right. So, um, in other words, how do we create or nourish that kind of deep listening? Yep. Um, within the educational system and. You know, the person that just popped into my mind on that is um, Athena Lynn, who has always always been interested in trying to cultivate it between student to student. 20 20 Um, seconds where, yeah, bring the story to a close. Yeah, no, go ahead, finish up, but no, go ahead. But Athena Lynn, yeah, great great kid, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's um, nourishing it among students to one another, Mm. as much as among faculty uh, towards students. Yeah, I think we'll we'll give you that. I think that's the last, we're going to give you that as the last word on the show. I wish we had, Karen, maybe we can get you back on the show some other time once you... I'd love um, to. Yeah, but anyway, so it's great talking to you and it's great Likewise. working with you back then. And, and uh, yeah. I still think fondly of our, our time together. Um, Me too. Just so... Uh, Thanks for thanks for um, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Special thanks to Karen Hyman, University of Illinois. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at BigBeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.